welcome to How Fitting, the podcast about creating fashion and growing a business that fits your customer, your lifestyle, and your values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Joey LaFriends of Jola. So welcome to the show, Joey. Hi, Allison. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, For those listening who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, Like you said, my name is Joey LaFriends, and I have a clothing line called Jola. Um, It's made up right now of five different styles of women's blouses made sustainably and ethically in the U.S. Um, I realize those terms are kind of thrown around, you know, to cover a broad range of um, how products are made these days, but basically, uh, my goal was to first of all manufacture in the U.S. for various reasons, and um, manufacture in small batches so that I didn't have a lot of waste uh, on my end, and when you know different styles didn't sell or whatnot, and a lot of waste wasn't created during the manufacturing process, and we also use sustainably made fabrics and notions, um, shipping packaging, and as much as much that can be done, um, you know, while still keeping consciousness of pricing and um, what, you know, what works for a smaller business like myself. Awesome. And yeah, we'll definitely dive into more of that because like you said, there is so much nuance and, you know, everyone kind of has a different way of describing what sustainable and ethical fashion means. Right. Um, But yeah. So it just, it, to me, for myself, I mean, I realized there's no perfect fabric. There's no perfect process, but I just wanted to, if I was going to put my name on it, to put as much time and effort um, thinking about it and making conscious decisions rather than just going with the cheapest option or the fastest option um, available. So that to me Mm -hmm. is, you know, sustainable, conscious, um, without, you know, everything doesn't work out the way you want it to, but I, it just, was very important to me to show that this was a well thought out process before I began. Yeah, I love that. And I'm totally with you that it's it's all those little details and the thoughtfulness that goes into creating clothes that really makes them special and makes them, you know, like you said, more more uh, friendly to the people and to the planet that we're on to in the right. process. So, so um. Tell, tell me a little bit about, like, what's your background? How did you get into fashion? Um, I grew up always, you know, drawing sketches and messing around with fabrics and sewing um, a little bit. Uh, I played, you know, I grew up in Iowa, which is where I live now. Um, mm-hmm. And I was, I'd say, kind of tomboyish. You know, I played a lot of sports, but was still always into fashion and clothing. Um And I actually started modeling in my older teen years and was exposed to that side of the fashion world. And then I realized real quickly that I definitely, you know, did want to go to college. That was important to me, important to my parents. Um, So I went to Iowa State, which isn't far from where I grew up, and they have a very good 
uh, fashion program in terms of design, merchandising, home, e home economics. Um, so I went there to start and I loved it. Um, but yet I had already kind of lived, you know, outside of Iowa, you know, I modeled in Chicago and Miami and kind of different places. And so coming back home seemed very small to me as an 18 year old. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so then I actually happened to meet my husband right about then. And he was at a different school. So I ended up transferring and then, um, ended up with an art history degree just because, uh, those fashion programs, I was in merchandising to start and it wasn't available where I was going to school, but I was always into art and anything creative. So I didn't really, uh, matter, you know, to me what my degree ended up in. Um, mm -hmm. and then we, had, we lived all over the country for my husband's job. And finally, um, about 12 years ago, we moved back to Iowa. Uh, he's from Iowa as well. And um, we have four boys. So it was important to us to raise our boys around other family members and um, in a slower paced environment and in a smaller town where, you know, everybody kind of keeps tabs on everyone, whether that's good or bad. It's a good <laughs> environment to raise kids in. Um, and, you know, I'd always wanted to do something with fashion, with design, I didn't really see how that was going to work with for, you know, boys under the age of eight. So once my youngest, you know, was old enough, he's now seven, but um, I wasn't in the baby toddler phase anymore. I went mm -hmm. back to um, school online and took some classes through the new school, which was formerly Parsons in New York, just to kind of brush up on some areas that I felt you know, would be beneficial. Um, and that's kind of where it started. So I took classes that way and uh, for about a year. And then that kind of led me to um, another program called Factory 45, oh, which, yeah. yeah, which is, um, you know, kind of a launch pad for starting a clothing line when you don't know what to do other than just Google. And, you know, I live fairly remotely in Iowa. So a lot of you know, I wasn't in Los Angeles or New York. So a lot of the, I guess, opportunities aren't here to start a clothing line, obviously. So that was a great starting point for me in terms of linking up with, you know, here are the steps to do here are fabric suppliers, here are pattern makers, here are manufacturers. And the plus side of all of that too, is that it's geared towards thinking, you know, in terms of starting a line, how I wanted to start it, you know, just being more conscious, just not jumping off, you know, jumping into buying too much fabric in bulk or buying from a supplier that doesn't care where the waste goes or how things are produced. So that really kind of started everything. And that was during COVID. So during 2020, where I was at home anyways, <laughs> things had slowed way down. So that gave me the opportunity to put time into the program and learn as much as I could and connect with other people who were going through the same steps that I was. And, you know, we had smaller groups that you could bounce ideas off of or ask recommendations regarding certain suppliers and whatnot. So that's really where everything kind of took off for me because I had the program to, um, use as a great reference. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And I didn't realize you had gone through factory 45 as well. 
there we've had other factory 45 people on the podcast before and it they always seem very prepared and just like what you said very conscious of how does each decision kind of impact the brand as a whole or the people you know in all parts of the supply chain I know even the consumer so right and it's great um, you're not just doing it on your own, you know, you have the modules to go through, but then the small groups were really beneficial too, because you could, um, talk to people who were at various steps in the process and, you know, bounce ideas, ask questions. Um, that, that was really, really beneficial and, you know, people all over the world. So you were talking mm-hmm. to people in different areas and who had different resources. Amazing. So what then kind of sparked the idea for Jola, like the brand itself and these blouses that you have in your line? For me, you know, the the reason that I guess I'm drawn towards blouses is and shirts mostly is because I feel like, you know, there's, I'm a kind of a jeans and, and top person who, you know, that's my day to day is me as well. Um, yeah, is, you know, I wonder if it's a Midwest thing. And it might be, but I feel like that's kind of, even when I travel, those are my go-tos, whether it's, unless it's summer, but um, with four boys, I'm always in jeans and a shirt and whether it's sandals, boots or sweaters, whatever, um, you know, there's a plethora of different styles of jeans and whatnot. But really for me, I felt like there wasn't a great line of, that, you know, I needed to shop quick. I needed to find things rather. I don't have time to shop in the stores. I just needed um, tops that could take me from day to night that, you know, I was just tired of being in uh, throw something on quick mode um, to get out the door and then having to change throughout the day. So really, I noticed too, that um, we had moved. And when we moved into our new house, I reorganized my closet into colors so that I could find everything quickly and efficiently and just the, the, I guess, aesthetically pleasing, you know, vibe that that gave me is looking in my closet, I realized how different colors can affect me too. You know, I look back on the days where, you know, I have little boys, you know, toddlers and babies. And I just felt like when I would attempt to have, you know, pull it all together and get dressed and feel like I was dressed for the day and not just in the sweats I had on from the night before. And I was in brighter colors. I just felt better about myself. Um, Mm -hmm. and how I, I, it was just kind of a mood boost for me. So that was kind of in my mind too. Like what do colors do for, you know, it's an easy fix. It's an easy mood boost. It's an easy way to, you know, give you energy to start your day. So that was in the back of my mind as well. So I knew when I did want to start my line, I wanted colors and bright colors and color, you know, I do a lot of color blocking, just an up, upscale twist on basics, you know, what's comfortable, Mm -hmm. what's easy to wash, what doesn't require dry cleaning, that was kind of very important to me as well. And not just blouses, because black, you know, certain fabrics and blouses aren't real, you know, user friendly for people who are at home with small kids or nursing moms and whatnot. So there was a lot of thought that went into those details as well. You know, I have two styles that have buttons, I was, you know, I spent a lot of my time 
nursing, ba- nursing babies. And, you know, mm-hmm. I kept thinking like, I wish there were more options that had easy access to open it up and button it up, but they look cuter than just, you know, a basic tank top with buttons or a flannel button down or whatever. So I thought about that as well. And layering pieces are important in the Midwest too. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of where it all started. I just knew I wanted upscale basics that looked great with jeans that you could throw a blazer on over or just made you feel better than throwing on a long sleeve t-shirt or a plain sweater or whatnot. Yeah. And I love the colors and the color blocking and I can totally see like the twist on basics is a great way to describe the pieces because they are like, they seem like they're, they are basic in terms of like you can wear them every day for all types of occasions, whatever pants you want, but then they're not, you know, like you said, they're not just a basic long sleeve t-shirt. Um, so I think they're super fun. Has, has color al- always been kind of an important part of your life or your design work or interest in fashion? Yeah, I guess so. Looking back on it, um, you know, and I even think back to like my grade school pictures, I was always the one in like a crazy shirt with a bright purple sweater, or <laughs> I've always been drawn to, uh, brighter colors. And I guess I still am without putting a lot of conscious thought into it. I mean, I do love to wear an all black outfit, but on my normal day to day, it's probably more a bright color or a bright pattern. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know where that comes from or, or why that's what I'm drawn to, but I think it's just more, um, I think I'm an energy person too. And those colors just seem to maybe invigorate me more than um, just a muted color palette does, Mm -hmm. which was also kind of a struggle when I was looking for fabrics, you know, that were more sustainably made, or I guess the fibers, because it's harder to get bright dyes that, you know, are environmentally friendly. So there was Mm -hmm. so much, you know, natural colored fabric or off-white or grays. And and, I mean, I love those too, but it was harder to find shirt or fabrics for shirts that, you know, came in a variety of bright colors because each one of my styles too, I have three fabric choices per style. And so that was kind of a challenge too. And look, took a little bit longer than I expected, but I ended up, you know, there were a few times where samples were coming, I was like, if these aren't right, I don't know where I'm going from here, but everything (laughs) ended up working out okay. Oh, good. Yeah, that was something I was going to ask about because, I mean, finding finding the right fabric for the design you're wanting to make, I feel like is always one of the biggest hurdles that designers go through um, in product development. But then specifically when you're looking for a range of color options and sustainable um, but that was even, even harder. So I'm, I'm curious, kind of like, what, what, what did that journey look like? And you mentioned it took a little longer than you expected. Like, what were your expectations? And what was kind of the actual um, timeline for that? Well, and I think the, what's, what you want the function of the shirt to end up, you know, looking like and, and its wearability, that's hard to always tell from just a little fabric swatch, (laughs) Mm -hmm. especially since I'm not a sewer. I know, I believe you do pattern making, right? Mm -hmm. And we're sewing. That's not, 
I, I'm more like hand sewing. I like to do embroidery and whatnot, but I'm not so much of a machine sewer. So that's another challenge. It was a lot of guesstimating, like how will this fabric turn out sewn? You know, like I had a, a fabric for the original PJ top that I loved, had great colors. And the second it was sewn, there wasn't a lot of stretching given it and it would twist. So mm -hmm. this, this shirt would twist on your body. And I thought, oh, geez. So I ended up reusing one of the fabrics that I use on the um, Sweetheart cap sleeve shirt. And it ended up being great for the PJ top as well. They're the same fabric, but that wasn't my original intention. So figuring out which fabric would work best for each style of shirt was kind of a challenge. Um, but overall, I really just had the glitch with the PJ top. So it, it worked out fine, but it is a guessing game in terms of weight of the fabric and, and what mm -hmm. does this look like sewn up? Does it end up being too heavy? Does it not stretch how you want it to stretch when it's put on, you know, a female body? So there were a few things that I had to rework, um, and use fabrics I didn't expect to use, but most all the fabrics do have some stretch to them. You know, I use four different fabrics for the five styles and they all do have a little bit of stretch. And the other thing is, you know, how will these shirts, how will they stand up when they've been washed? You know, it's one mm -hmm. thing to do a few fabric tests, you know, in your washing machine, but, and see like, oh, does the color fade? Does it shrink much? Um, but overall now, you know, I've been wearing the shirts for almost three years and I haven't had one style fade, one style shrink, nothing. So I was really That's lucky great. with that as well, because longevity of the piece is important to me, too. Um, but yeah, I guess I ended up I think a lot of it was beginner's luck. <laughs> and, you know, I did try to, I put a lot of time and effort into thinking things through and, and guessing at it. But for the most part, I think a lot of it was luck. <laughs> I mean, you say that, but of all the things you're describing, even asking the right questions and, you know, thinking about all these different factors, how it, how it, you know, hangs in the shirt itself, how it washes and dries, how it holds up over time. Like those are all the thing, the right questions to ask. And that's, that's not just luck. So it may have been luck that like you found the colors and, and pieces that you wanted and it didn't take longer, but I, there's definitely some skill and, and effort and thoughtfulness on your part that you well, put into Well, and this. I think too, if you pay attention to what you wear in your own closet and mm -hmm. what your favorite shirt is, and how this shirt fits and how this flatters your body. You know, I did go through my own closet and pulled out probably 20 shirts that I like. I like how they fit. I like this neckline. I like this fabric. And so a lot of those shirts, you know, are what I sent to my original pattern maker and sample maker to say, I want it to look like this, but this needs to be longer. And, you know, so a lot of that was just thought that I had from things I had already worn and enjoyed and um, kept going back to in my own closet. So that probably helped a little bit too. For sure. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point and great tip to do for like any designer who, you know, no matter if they're new or like very experienced, but um, looking at 
kind of reference garments, other things that you like or don't like. And then that's also super helpful when describing your vision to a pattern maker or a fabric supplier or whoever of having an example of, I want this, but not this, Uh, you know, I like this thing, but not this thing or this color, but not that color. And having kind of a reference physically to look at is, can be really helpful in the communication or in the design process, kind of speed things along and not kind of reinvent the wheel. Right, right. Yes. And I went through with like safety pins and pin things to say I wanted to come in a little like this or, or I even use a lot of masking tape. So um, mm-hmm. those reference pieces at the beginning were they probably saved some time in terms of having to rework samples and sketches and whatnot. Yeah. So with the colors that you chose, um, let's talk a little bit more. Like, can you share more about kind of what the the meaning of the colors are or why you chose particular colorways or color combinations um, in your pieces? Sure. I had, I mean, uh, on my phone, I probably keep way too many photos of colors I'll see on something that I like how they go together. Maybe you didn't Mm -hmm. think to, you know, pair together, but I think they look um, I like how they look together. So, you know, I had gone back through and printed a bunch of those and laid everything out. And then when the fabrics came, you know, just because you're picking a fabric out online doesn't mean it's going to show up in the right shade, you know, as you think it's going to when it's, you're actually seeing it in person. So, um, a lot of that was just putting swatches together. Do I like how this looks? Um, do I like more of a contrast or do I like, you know, colors that are in the same family? So it was just mostly what do I like? What, what pairs well, what's the most user-friendly for anybody who wears it. And I do have, you know, a few options that are not as bright. You know, there's a lot, when you look at the colors, you're like, oh, here's a lot of bright options. But then I also have a Navy shirt with kind of a more muted blue, trim. Um, so I would say I, you know, the response I've gotten is people either love the bright colors or they love the more muted options. So I did want to offer, um, a few of those as well. And the other, the other thing I guess we haven't talked about that was really important to me was fit because Mm -hmm. it's hard, you know, if you order a smaller, medium or large or whatever from one line, and then you order that same size from another line, you know, we all know, sizes range so much. So it was important to me to have to really nail the fit of the shirts in terms of I'm almost 5'10". Does it does a small fit me like it fits my fit model who's, you know, 5'4 and I'm Mm -hmm. more flat chested and she's more busty. So we really worked on how does it fit me? How does it fit her? And and where's the common ground between those two? Because we wear the same size, but we have totally different body types. Yeah. And so that's been another thing that's worked out well. Or, you know, arm length. Does the arm length on a small on the PJ top fit a shorter person? Does it fit a taller person? So that's been really nice to hear back from um, customers is that I haven't had any returns, which is great. (laughs) So yeah, right. So far. So the fit really must, um, the time that we put into figuring out the fit to fit a wide range of body types, I think 
has worked out well too. Nice. Yeah. And I'm, as a pattern maker, I'm all for fit and it's so important because like the clothes that don't fit, we just don't wear them. Right. Like we do, you don't feel good about, you know, ourselves in them and you're like constantly adjusting it all day long or yeah, it's, or you don't buy it in the first place. So sure. Um, the fit is super important and it sounds like you really put a lot of um, thought again into how it fits different body types and um, kind of how to hit that that happy medium between <laughs> a short and tall frame. Right. And that's one thing I think I learned, you know, early on when you see kind of behind the scenes, um, you know, things with modeling is their fit model is often a lot different than what a normal body type and body shape fit, you know, that's very mm -hmm. different. So that never made sense to me to have this, you know, young, no, you know, a girl who hasn't developed yet or is very thin and doesn't have curves and use that as your fit model and think that that's going to fit the rest of the 90% of our population. Mm -hmm. So um, it was important to me to have, to have the fit be as spot on to a, you know, as to fit as many types of body types as possible. Nice. So when you were working on your initial designs, like how did you decide on these, these five pieces? That was, yeah. So I kind of same thing. I would take pictures of things and think, Oh, I love that neckline. Or, you know, I love the style of this, but it's way too formal or dressy for something that I would wear in normal life or, you know, everyday life. Um, but how can I tweak and twist that to have kind of that same, same look like the vest that I ended up making originally, the photo of it is beautiful. Same color ways where it's, you know, black and off white, but you can tell it was a much more tailored look. Um, mm -hmm. and should be worn, you know, in a business office or to an upscale party or whatnot, because it was much more of a tailored and maybe more of a twill fabric. Um, so I would see, see pieces of clothing, but then figure out how I could tweak that to be more casual, but still kind of give off that same look. Gotcha. Yeah, that's really, that's really cool. That's like, take the fancier pieces, but keep those elements, but put in something more casual and you could wear every day. Right. And I have three styles that are long sleeve. Um, the turtleneck has like bracelet length sleeves, but um, also I am in the Midwest. So <laughs> nine months out of the year here, it's chilly. Uh, and the other two styles have, you know, sleeves. So I was trying to find or short sleeves or cat sleeves. So, you know, those can be layered pieces easily or worn under a jacket or sweater. Um, but also, you know, it's also cold here all the time. So I have, um, I wanted pieces you could layer or not, or, you know, just have seasonless style that can be worn in a different variety of, you know, temperatures. But for the most part, all my styles can be worn in one way or the other year round, no matter where you live, I guess, unless you're in a really, really hot tropical environment. Mm -hmm. Nice. 
So what does your production look like? It, like, it sounds like you worked with a fit model and a um, pattern maker for the samples. Um, what what do you do for production-wise? Do you have inventory? Do you make on demand? So I have inventory, like? right. I have inventory now. Um, I was able to find a small batch manufacturer in Texas who would allow me to then you know, break up the quantity that their minimum quantity then into the three color ways. So that was really mm -hmm. beneficial too. that within their MLQs, I could break it up into three different color ways. So I really have a, I mean, I have a substantial for me amount of um, shirts on hand here, but it's not anything that I feel like I can't sell. So um, that's been really great to work with them. And my fabric is all still down there so that if I need to, if and when I need to do a reorder, um, I can do that pretty easily without having to ship fabric back and forth or, um, having to place another large order. So that was nice to work with someone that didn't expect to, you know, do these large quantities and then, I was stuck with it or felt really, really pressured to sell it fast. So that I had to do quick reorders. Um, mm -hmm. So that was good. And even since I did, I did the first manufacturing run almost two years ago. I think too, I've found several other manufacturers, even here in the Midwest who aren't too far from me that are kind of using that same model. So I think that's great because it's easy and cheaper to manufacture offshore, but you tend to end up with, you know, I couldn't personally go visit those factories to see, you know, everything we hear about. Are the workers being treated fairly? Is there a lot of waste um, mm -hmm. and whatnot? But they also a lot of times require huge orders to start to kind of keep their costs down and your costs down. But in the end, you're paying more because it costs a lot more because you're needing so many more shirts to fulfill their orders. Definitely. Yeah, it makes more sense to manufacture overseas when you, like, if you are needing those larger quantities and you know you can sell through it. Right. Um, it's and a lot it, harder when you're doing small, small quantities and then you've got, like, the shipping and lead times to get right. it across the globe, too. And the first time through, you know, it's one thing if you have a shirt that you're like, oh, my gosh, this is my best seller. And I know if I order a lot of them, I'll be able to sell them. But first time through, I really wasn't sure which style would be the most popular or, you know, mm -hmm. what wouldn't sell. So that was that was great, too. And at the time, it was when when I was looking for a manufacturer is when all of those um, cargo ships were like not able stuck to stuck in the port. Yes. They were all stuck in, you know, Long Beach or wherever off California port. And you just see them sitting out there because they didn't have the workers they needed to unload them. So I thought, well, you could have everything you need in a timely manner and you shipped overseas and then there it sits. So that was mm -hmm. another reason I thought it was much more beneficial to, there are a lot of reasons, but um, manufacture here in the U S if possible. And a lot of my, a lot of my clients manufacture in the U S as well for a lot of those reasons and others, like just being able to visit the, you know, the place, being able to do smaller minimums, cheaper shipping, all of that. Right. Right. So did you go and visit the, your factory in Texas then before your first run? 
yeah, I did go down and I was able to actually meet um, my pattern maker, sample maker, and then the manufacturer. Um, so yeah, it was, it was good. I did. That's not too far from here. It was an easy kind of trip. So yeah, it, that was, it was important to me to see, you know, and they kept sending pictures during the process. I wasn't obviously able to go back and forth, but they would send updates and pictures and you could see, you know, where they were working, other projects they were working on as well. So it was a fairly transparent process. Nice. And how did you get connected with that factory? They actually have a representative um, who knew the sample and pattern maker that I worked with. So that was helpful okay. too. Yeah, that's another, like finding a factory that's kind of a good fit for the brand, I, I feel like, along with sourcing fab materials is one of the other big challenges when you're first starting, you know, a brand is it's finding yes, for sure. Right. And that, you know, fit everything that you need and you're able to get in on a timely schedule too. you know, I really didn't mm -hmm. have to wait forever because you say like, oh, yeah, I'll be ready to start in six to 12 weeks. And then you're still waiting on fabric because everything there's a lot of timing that goes on. As you know, everything needs to arrive there at the same within a fairly short amount of time so that they can start because they need your tags, they need your buttons, they need your fabric, mm -hmm. they need all of that there um, at the same time. And they don't necessarily want to hold on to everything forever either um, before starting, you know, and they're working on various projects at the same time. So everything worked out fairly timely, I'd say. That's, that's awesome. So how did you decide then like what quantities and kind of what colors and sizes to order in your, for your first production run, because you didn't have sales data yet? Right. No, I, um, I kind of did, I researched that as well. And I talked to my sample maker and she was able to give me advice too. You know, she said that extra smalls and extra larges usually move the slowest. And mm -hmm. so from there, we just kind of broke it down into equally doing small, mediums and larges, and then on doing less extra smalls and extra larges, which actually I've ended up selling a lot more extra smalls than I anticipated. So I am going to run out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, so that was kind of a, just some, with some advice from her, what she said she felt would work the best. So I did go through, I think I ordered, you know, let's say in one colorway, I ordered four extra smalls, eight smalls, eight mediums, eight larges, four extra larges. So um, mm -hmm. I just kind of evenly went through every style and did it similarly to that. Yeah, that's kind of like a common, if you don't know, if you don't know otherwise, or don't have data otherwise, that's a, yeah. a good way to order. Sometimes. Yeah, no, there's a lot of guesstimates happening, as you know, your first time through, because mm -hmm. um, you don't have any, anything to reference based on past sales. So that was another thing that was great with Factory 45 is after, you know, you go through the program we were in our Facebook group together. So you could always throw questions out later on, you know, to other people going through the same steps or who had been through those steps already and just say, Hey, what sizing did you order or um, what worked well for you? And in terms of manufacturing and shipping. So it was, 
it was a great resource to have. So cool. So I'm curious now that it's been a few years because you launched in 2021, correct? Just basic. No, last fall. So it's oh, last really fall. Been, okay. It's been a year. I think it was a year right around the 1st of September. Okay. Well, congratulations on one year. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a, I think I kind of did an updated relaunch um, a few weeks ago, just because I learned a lot, obviously, during the last year and now have connections with stores and retailers and wholesalers and everything. Um, and just based on their needs and what works for me, I kind of restructured my pricing too, because that was another guesstimate. You know, you know how much mm -hmm. you spend on manufacturing and how much you spend on fabric and how, how much it actually goes into the shirt before you're even figuring out a wholesale price and a retail price. And um, I kind of went with the advice that I had received. And looking back on it, I thought, I don't know that I need to, you know, sell it at that price. So I did kind of drop everything down around 20% less. Um, because I feel like it's been a tough year from what I hear for a lot of retailers. Um, you know, I think the online sales bubble has burst a little bit. Uh, but yet retail has struggled too. So um, I just did a relaunch this last month and that's already showing some positive, some positive responses from people. Um, so I guess I try to be as transparent as possible and just, you know, if I make a mistake, I'll own up to it. Or if I, if there's something I need to change, I change it as quickly as I can. Um, so yeah, it's been a really good year of figuring out things that I could have done better or celebrating the small wins. You know, I think that's another thing that's important is mm -hmm. realizing, you know, you aren't going to sell a lot of shirts all the time and you're not going to, maybe you'll have a week where nothing happens or maybe it's a month, but yet you've made some really good connections with uh, people, stylists, who are helping you promote your line or, you know, you've had some really good press in a magazine because those don't turn into sales. Uh, you know, that was one thing I was kind of naive about is that, oh my gosh, if people see it, it's so many, I think it's, you have to make so many connections with people before they'll maybe give you a chance and mm -hmm. make a purchase. So it's just, you know, keeping your nose down and grinding away and realizing oh, well, I had, you know, a few good things happen this week. I didn't really sell any shirts or the next week, you know, all of a sudden you sell several and you're moving merchandise. So it's hard. It's, it's, it, there's some weeks it's, it's hard to stay positive and other weeks you're like, oh my gosh, all the work that I did last fall or last spring is really coming to fruition now. <laughs> so <laughs> there's not always, you know, instant gratification, but you just, I feel like if I just keep trying certain things to figure out what's a, you know, you don't know what works or who to reach out to all the time. Um, now it's hard because I'm not a salesperson. So, you know, as a creative person, sales are not my thing, but now that's kind of what I'm forced to do. Um, and that's not in my comfort zone and it's not something I enjoy doing. So I find myself mm -hmm. procrastinating <laughs> that part of it, but that's <laughs> now that's the most important uh, part of what I'm doing. So I'm trying to be better about 
putting Jola out there and making connections. And just because, you know, somebody doesn't answer the first time, the advice I've gotten is like, it takes 15 to 20 times of, you know, reaching out to someone before they'll say, Oh yeah, let me connect with you. Or, Oh yes, I'm sorry. I meant to get around to this, but I've been too busy. So that's part probably the hardest part of during this last year is just, reaching out, reconnecting, checking in again, you know, it's a lot of work. Um, so that's what I've worked on the, for the most part on and off the last year. Um, and it's also, I thought it would be easier for people. You know, I, when I reach out to stores, I just say, I will gladly send you, um, a few samples to look at. You're not committed to purchase anything because I don't want stores to have merchandise that they can't move. That doesn't benefit anybody. So mm-hmm. I'm happy to send things for them to look at before purchasing. Um, and then you can send it back to me or you could place an order. And so I think the hardest part was thinking like, oh yeah, people jump on board with this where people, I don't know. I just think stores and retailers are so bombarded with emails and calls that it's really hard to get in touch and get a hold of the owner or get a hold of their store buyer and get somebody to give you a chance. But um, so that's really what I have to work on right now is just the constant contact with buyers and retailers to get into their stores. Um, Because I think so many people are just used to buying from reps and buying at market, but yet Mark reps I'm finding don't really want to represent you until they know that you have a, a line that will sell, but yet mm-hmm. it's kind of a catch 22 because mm-hmm. it's hard to <laughs> sell it to retailers and get it in the stores, but yet reps don't want to represent you until it's selling. So that's kind of a hard one to work through for me. And I think that's tough for everybody. And it's kind of, again, back to what you said about, seeing the things you did like last spring pay off now and you know right. that's a year and a half later right where there's so many things where it's like you have to do the work now but you're not going to see the results for six months a year two years and it can be tough to do that you know both mentally and just with, like with your energy and motivation but also financially because it's the same way with designing a collection where it's like you're investing in development and samples yeah, far ahead of when you're getting the money from sales. And so um, it's always, I, I think it's very much a long game, which kind of goes counterintuitive to like the fast fashion environment that we've yes. been in, where people are like, oh, fashion moves fast. It's really trendy. Like things, there's new stuff every week to look at. And it's like so many people don't realize that there, there is months or years of work into well-made clothing. Um, right. And it is very much a slow, long game when, when you do it right. And especially when you're the only, the only person in your business doing, wearing all the hats, you know, being right. the creative person and the business person and the salesperson. And it's a lot that's going on simultaneously to work on. Right. And I think, you know, I spent three years on all the creative side of it. And now I'm having to do the business side of it. And I don't like the business, you know, but you have to do it. You have to force yourself to do it. Or, you know, I have, I need to reach out and find somebody to do that part of it for me, um, or at Mm -hmm. least help with it, which I have, you know, 
one person kind of helping me out with a little bit of the marketing and that's paying off, but it's just kind of a guessing game. And like you said, a long game because it doesn't happen right away. And um, I want to get back to the creative side of things, but that's not where I am right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it totally is. It is the long game. Um, so has there been any other things like in this past year business or the past, you know, several years working on the creative side that, um, you feel like you've really like learned or grown in your understanding of fashion or fashion business, um, that you like, if you could go back, you wish you could tell yourself like a couple of years ago. Hmm. I think, you know, Going back to what we were talking about in terms of being patient, I think that's number one is just to be patient. And I'm very fortunate. And I realize I'm fortunate that starting this, I really didn't feel forced to be on a schedule. Um, it wasn't like I felt like I had to make a certain amount of money per month to allow Jola to grow. And, you know, this is a, I'm doing this because I love working in fashion and I love designing and I love clothes. Um, but I don't feel obligated that it has to succeed within a certain amount of time, um, which is beneficial for me. And I think beneficial to Jola, it's allowed me to not make hasty decisions or maybe make mistakes that wouldn't stay, wouldn't benefit Jola in terms of staying true to what I wanted it to be. Um, so basically, yeah, creatively, I was allowed to take my time and not be rushed to um, make decisions that didn't, didn't like when I look back now and look at the fabrics that I picked and look at the manufacturer I picked, I wouldn't change anything. So that's, that's great, because I mm -hmm. feel like moving forward, that's, I don't have to go back to the design process of, oh, I like this shirt. We did a run, you know, of this many shirts, but I hate the fabric. And now I have to change it and redo a sample to see if I, you know, I feel mm -hmm. like I can just jump right back into manufacturing again when I need to um, and not make a lot of changes. So that was really beneficial for, for me sure. that so many of those steps worked out the way that I had hoped that they would have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge where it's like you're the persistence and the thought and the, you know, all the time that you put into this is you're, you see the results and you're happy with the results. I bet that's super rewarding. Yeah. And uh, several of the styles too. another thing that was important to me was, can I use this same um, style and just tweak the pattern a little bit to give it a shorter sleeve instead of a longer sleeve? Or can I turn the vest into like a cardigan or a sweatshirt? So that on the back end will save me time and money in terms of, you know, I don't have to totally redo a pattern or mm -hmm. it'll be easy to redo this style, but we just add a sleeve or shorten a sleeve. Or, um, you know, if I wanted, if I love the turtleneck style, but I don't want to do, you'll see, you know, it has like an overlay, a sewn in overlay of a tank top, we can just take that off, you know, so there mm -hmm. are a lot of the basics that I felt worked well in terms of sizing and style, but I can tweak them to look differently and have a whole new style without changing um, everything in it to start. Yeah, that's a super smart way to go about development, because it not only is 
easier and cheaper to develop new styles based off those, but the fit is staying consistent and you right. really tested the fabric. So, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was reading on your blog and I saw you had a, an, a post about where you, you talked about kind of like the, you know, wanting to be transparent in your brand. And it seems like you do a great job of that, you, you know, even in our conversation here. Um, but then also find, trying to find the balance between that transparency and um, like your own privacy or just, you know, kind of what the balance is between sharing the details and not sharing details. Um, so I'm, could you talk a little bit about that? And now that you're, you know, you're into business, have you found a balance that's comfortable for you? I think I have, you know, I thought about that early on so many brands and, and people um, that I follow that show lifestyle photos, or, you know, business photos, also incorporate more of their personal lives and their family lives. And while I like to see that, I don't feel like I didn't want to share that side so much of um, my life and my family's life, you know, with smaller kids, I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of times that's used for marketing and that's great, but I just didn't feel like that fit what I wanted for my boys and my family life to be. Um, I feel like we live fairly rurally and small and we're able to maybe keep our kids a little bit younger here and a little more sheltered. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really important to me as well. So I feel like I found the balance. I'm the last person that likes to post a picture of themselves. Um, but just for the efficiency of, oh, I've got this shirt on today. Let me show how I styled it. I'll do it. But I don't enjoy that side of it at all. Um, mm-hmm. I'd much rather like I enjoy running into friends or um that I'll see around town and they have one of my shirts on and I'll make them stop and I take a picture <laughs> so I do I get more enjoyment out of seeing other people wearing my clothes than I do myself like I mm-hmm. said I mean I modeled for a short time growing up but I'm the last person that enjoys um being in front of the camera so uh, yeah I think I think I found a good balance and now it's been easier to promote Jola because we've had some press and um, other people send me pictures of them wearing the shirts. So then I always say, Hey, can I post a picture of this? Um, Mm -hmm. Because at first marketing is very hard. It's like, what am I going to take a picture of, you know, today, Mm -hmm. just me (laughs) in the shirt all the time or fabric swatches. Uh, So yeah, it's, it's been easier lately. I feel like. Oh, good. I'm glad because you like found found a place that works for you or a way of marketing that, that feels comfortable because I, that is, I think, a constant, you know, with social media, it's so easy to overshare. Right. And then there's kind of the pressure to share everything. But then as a business owner, y- you, you get to decide whether you want it to be like a very personal brand where you are sharing all the details of the the business and your life or whether you want to kind of stick to more business stuff and be transparent about the business but you don't have to be transparent about everything else in your life you know or you know sharing all of that and yeah you get to decide how you want to show up and right what, what you enjoy doing and how and you I relate guess, to the public 
Right. And some of the advice I received early on was like, well, to, you know, I usually mostly use Instagram because that's what I'm mostly comfortable on. I'm not on a plethora of social media platforms because I don't have time for it. I don't enjoy Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) Same here. Um, So, and I don't, that's not my thing. Um, But I was told, you know, to get in with, you know, the Instagram algorithm, you need to be posting every day. And I was thought, no, that's A, that's not me. B, I don't have time for it. And C, anybody who knows me knows that that's not authentic (laughs) for Mm -hmm. me. So um, I I was like, well, if that's how it's going to work, this is going to be really be a long game because I, I try to post authentically. Like I said, if something comes up, I'll share it. Uh, but I don't just post a post. Um, but they're also, it's like, you know, when I see things on Instagram, I think, oh yeah, I saw that before. That would be a great gift or, you know, for so-and-so I meant to order it, but I forgot, you know, so you do mm-hmm. like to send those little gentle reminders, I guess every once in a while. Cause I'll constantly have people be like, oh yeah, I want to order this. And then they don't, and then they'll see it again later. And then, oh yeah, I've been meeting and then an order's place. So I definitely mm-hmm. realized the benefit of it, uh, especially being, you know, so living remotely. Um, it, it puts you out there and gets you in front of a variety of audiences as well. For sure. Yeah. I totally agree. And I'm, I'm with you on the social media where it's like, there is benefit to it, but also I don't enjoy like getting sucked into it. So I try wow. to use it as like little as possible. Um, right. And still having me, like some sort of presence and interaction. Yeah, sure. And I mean, I don't want my boys to see me on my phone all the time or, you know, not interacting because you do get sucked into it. You think, oh, I could do this really quick or add this. And I'm so... I, I try to just use Instagram sparingly. Mm-hmm. So I have one more question that I ask everyone at the end of the interview, which is um, if you could communicate one value to the world through the clothes you design, what would it be? I think, I mean, I've used this word several times as authentic. Um, mm-hmm. I what I say is what I do. And I think that's just how I come to the table in my everyday life. If I say I'm going to do something, I do it. If I say, um, this is how it's made, that's how the shirt's made, or this is the fabric. I think everything I represent is what I, or everything that has, Jola has come to be is what I represent in terms of my values and in terms of what's important to me, um, to put my name on, I am not going to put my name on a product that doesn't do what it, I'm saying it's going to do. Um, mm-hmm. so I really try to live my life very authentically and run my business authentically and, um, create a product that is what I, what I represent. And I think too, that's really hard to sell, you know, a tangible item online because you can't, I'm a person, I need to see it. I need to feel it. Um, I want to try it on. And that, I guess, overall, the number one response I've gotten from customers is, oh my gosh, I had no idea this fabric felt like this, or this is so soft and wearable. So that's, that's another reason to different retailers and stores. I always say, please let me just mail this to you so you can see 
what it looks like, what it feels like and, and how it fits your body. Um, so that's been, that's been another slow part of the process is just getting, um, the styles in front of people so they can see them in person mm-hmm. and see that what I'm saying it is, you know, is actually what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And interact with it in real life. I, I know other people have interviewed on the podcast or clients have said that kind of pop-up stores or, you know, retailing or like interacting with the customer and seeing their reaction to feeling the pieces and seeing them in person has been like really huge and right. You know, much easier to kind of get the sale than just showing a pretty picture online. Right. For sure. And two of my styles are almost kind of double layered, the sweetheart shirt and the turtleneck um, are double layered. So you can just tell they're, they're not a cheap flimsy shirt you throw on and it shows every, you know, bulge on your back from your bra or, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been another good response. And they're a little bit warmer too, which is nice if you live in a colder climate. Um, so just people seeing the quality of the workmanship and the fabrics and how wearable they are is, uh, has been important too. Wonderful. Well, this has been so fun, Joey, to get to know you and Jola a little bit better um, and hear kind of your your business journey and what it's been like these past few years. Um, where can people find out more about Jola online? So our our website is shopjola.co, C-O, and Instagram is the same, at jola.co. Um, so that's, or shopjola.co. So that's been great to have those two be the same and be similar. Um, Mm -hmm. Then you can also probably just Google Jola. I feel like it pops up by now. (laughs) So um, yeah, or, you know, reach out to me. I'm happy to answer questions. My email is on the website and, um, or, you know, send me a message on Instagram. I get back to people fairly quickly. So you can always reach out and ask questions or, um, anything you need. I'll put those links in the show notes for anyone who wants to check out the pieces. They are fun and colorful. And um, yeah, thank you so much, Joey, for joining me today. It has been great. Yeah. Thank you, Allison. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you would like more episodes and resources like this about growing a fashion business that fits your customer, lifestyle, and values, send straight to your inbox. You can sign up for my email list at alisonhainis.com newsletter. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-H-O-E-N-E-S dot com newsletter. Again, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of How Fitting.